This evening we're going to be in Genesis chapter 18. Genesis chapter 18. In our country, we have three branches of government, the executive, the legislative, and the judicial. Now, what would it be like if we had one person who was an active leader in all three of those branches at the same time? Suppose we had a person who was the President of the United States, the executive branch. He was also the Senate Majority Leader, the legislative branch, and he was also a Supreme Court judge, the judicial branch. What what kind of problems would there be if we had one person in all three of those positions at the same time? Okay, you could you could argue, well, they wouldn't have enough time to do all of their responsibilities. They have to they have to judge all these cases that come before them. They have to lead the country. They also have to write law. But your answer is exactly right. The biggest problem with a person that would be in all three branches of government at the same time would be the potential, okay, and that's the key word there, potential for corruption. Because he would have the potential for absolute power. He could write law to extend his term as president. He could he could argue in favor of any ruling that he made. Uh, he, he could write any law and then argue in favor of it. He could change whatever he wanted to in the country, potentially. But the Founding Fathers wisely split up these powers, knowing that every sinful human needs checks and balances. And so they didn't allow that sort of thing. They had a what's called a separation of powers. You have all three of these branches separate. You can't have one person and all three at the same time. We would never have that in our country. But however, do you realize that there would be no problem with that scenario if that person were completely perfect? We all say the problem with that is, is tyranny. That's not guaranteed, though. If you had a perfect person as the president and the law writer and the judge, that wouldn't be a problem. In fact, that's the way it will be in the Millennial Kingdom. We will have a ruler, a king who will also write law and be the judge of all matters. And there will be no problem with that. There will be no tyranny. There will be no, uh, there will be no corruption. And you know that this will happen through the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That is His name. And currently, you know that our Father, really, in a universal way, has all three of those roles over the universe. He sits on the throne as king. He is perfectly just. He is the lawmaker and he is the judge of all the earth. You see, with God, it's different because he is completely trustworthy. He always meets the standard of his own righteousness. With an imperfect human being, they could come into a place of power and they they could potentially cause corruption because... They, they wouldn't necessarily meet up to their own standard. But not so with God. God always meets up to His own standard of perfection. You see, God is just. God is completely righteous. And He knows that He is just. Most people don't know that. And He wants His justice to be seen. And eventually it will be seen clearly by all. But until that time, when when it is seen clearly by all, 
He has provided a glimpse for believers to show His justice to them. And that's what we're going to find here in Genesis chapter 18. Because God is showing to Abraham that He is just. And He wants Abraham to see Him as just. That's why He includes him in this conversation. Look at chapter 18, verses 16 through 33. Then the the men rose up from there and looked down toward Sodom. Speaking of the angels. And Abraham was walking with them to send them off. The angels and, and uh, and the Christ there. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do, since Abraham will surely become a great and mighty nation, and in him all the nations of the earth will be blessed? For I have chosen him so that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him. And the Lord said, The outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is indeed great, and their sin is exceedingly grave. I will go down now and see if they have done entirely according to its outcry, which has come to me. And if not, I will know. Then the men turned away from there and went toward Sodom while Abraham was still standing before the Lord. Abraham came near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are fifty righteous within the city. Will you indeed sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the fifty righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous and the wicked are treated alike. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth deal justly? So the Lord said, If I find in Sodom fifty righteous within the city, then I will spare the whole place on their account. And Abraham replied, Now behold, I have ventured to speak to the Lord, although I am but dust and ashes. Suppose the fifty righteous are lacking five. Will you destroy the whole city because of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find forty-five there. He spoke to him yet again and said, Suppose forty are found there. And he said, I will not do it on account of the forty. Then he said, Oh, may the Lord not be angry and I shall speak. Suppose thirty are found there. And he said, I will not do it if I find thirty there. And he said, Now behold, I have ventured to speak to the Lord. Suppose twenty are found there. And he said, I will not destroy it on account of the twenty. Then he said, Oh, may the Lord not be angry and I shall speak only this once. Suppose ten are found there. And he said, I will not destroy it on account of the ten. As soon as he had finished speaking to Abraham, the Lord departed and Abraham returned to his place. God is just. And He wants us to see Him as just. He wants us to see that He is trustworthy. And so there are times when He gives glimpses into His justice There are other times when God simply does things. He doesn't need our approval. He doesn't need our acceptance of it. He simply does things because He's God. And there's no problem in that. But there are times when He lovingly, mercifully allows us to see His justice. And I think that's what happens here. Because here, God could have easily just went through with the judgment of Sodom, couldn't He? Sodom was wicked enough. He didn't need Abraham's... He didn't need to have a conversation with Abraham. And yet he did. He filled Abraham in on his plan. I believe the main reason was to show his justice and his mercy. Let's begin 
by seeing God's merciful revelation in verses 16 through 19. God's merciful revelation. The Lord is concerned for Abraham, so He fills him in on His plan. Now let me just... uh, I was uh, stumbling over these men here in verse 16, but let me just uh, be clear about who they are. The men of verse 16 that are here are the men that were talked about at the beginning of the chapter. Look at verse 1. This is what we saw two weeks ago. Now the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre while he was sitting at the tent door in the heat of the day. And when he lifted up his eyes and looked, that is Abraham, he looked, behold, three men were standing opposite him. And when he saw them, he ran for the tent, from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth. Okay, so Abraham is approached by these three characters, these three, these three uh, people in the form of humans. And we know that this is the Lord and two angels because of verse 1. Look at verse 1. Now the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre. And then it says in verse 2, there were three men. So it was apparently the Lord and some other two men. Look down to verse 22 because we see that they continue on that the Lord has this conversation with Abraham and then the Lord stays with Abraham. Verse 22, Then the men turned away from there and went towards Sodom while Abraham was still standing before the Lord. So the Lord appeared to Abraham. These other two men went on to Sodom. Then look at chapter 19, verse 1, because it tells us exactly who they are, these two men. Verse 1 of chapter 19, Now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening. And what they're doing there, we're going to find out next week, is they're, they're there to determine if the city is wicked enough. That's the whole purpose of this conversation. We, we need to see if the outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is indeed great. And that's what they're going to find out next week, that it is indeed great. In addition to that, they're going to rescue Lot and his family. You, you understand that. But, but these are the two angels. So, so Abraham now is speaking to, to the, the Lord and the two angels. Abraham, in the first part of chapter 18, if you remember, he was taking care of them. Remember, they, they filled him in on some information. Actually, they filled in Sarah. Abraham already knew that Sarah was going to have a baby. And it was going to be at this time next year, they would say, that, that Sarah would give birth. And you remember, she laughed in the tent. Prior to that, Abraham served them. He, he took care of them. He brought them in. He, he made sure that they were well taken care of. And here the Lord and the two angels have this discussion in verses 16 through 19. And the discussion begins by saying, should we fill Abraham in on the plan to destroy Sodom? Should we? Is this something that we should allow him to understand? And that's why I call this merciful revelation. Because God already knew what He was going to do. He already knew what He was going to do, and yet He chose to include Abraham in the conversation. Listen to Psalm chapter 25, verse 14. The secret of the Lord is for those who fear Him, and He will make them know His covenant. And there are certain things that God reveals to those who follow Him. There are specific and special things that God allows for, for believers to understand. And I think there are at least three reasons that they included Abraham in on their plan. And we can see these from the text. First, Verse 18, I believe it is to increase the privileges that Abraham already had. Verse 18 reads, Since Abraham will surely become a great and mighty nation, and in him all the nations of the earth will be blessed. 
Okay, so the question in hand, verse 17, is shall I hide this from Abraham? And here's the tension that the Lord is saying to the two angels. I, I assume the Lord is the one speaking here. Should I hide this from Abraham when he's the one through whom all the nations of the earth will be blessed? So I've already given him great privilege. Should I hide this from him, this revelation about destroying Sodom? I mean, what an amazing privilege. They desired for Abraham to be included in a heavenly conversation, we could say. In a conversation about heavenly matters, such weighty things, God allowed him to be involved in that conversation. And as parents, we do this with our children at times. As they begin to show themselves faithful, we reveal things to them that they we wouldn't reveal to them as a small child, right? As they get older, they start to understand things more. We reveal things that they have the capability of understanding. Things that we don't have to necessarily tell them. And, that's what, and I think that's what God does with us as well. Over time, he, he starts to reveal things to us that we didn't before see and maybe before we couldn't see because our eyes were dimmed by our own sin. And as we, we receive more and more mercy, more privilege from God, He allows us to, 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 uh, to have the blinders taken off to, to even more secret things that He has for us. That's what Psalm 25 is talking about. Let me read that again. Verse 14, The secret of the Lord is for those who fear Him, and He will make them know His covenant. There's something special about following God. There's some special information that God wants to share with believers. Specifically in that verse, is talking about the covenant. And uh, so we could, we, could, we could understand that in our context with regard to spiritual truth. Now, notice carefully how God traces the reason for giving him such special privileges in verse 19. For I have chosen him. Okay, God traces it back to himself. He's not saying Abraham is such a great person and this is why we need to include him. Maybe he will inform us in some way. That wasn't the purpose of this conversation, was it? It's a merciful revelation. It was, I have chosen Abraham to be a special person in history a special person in my program, my kingdom program. So I'm going to include him in on this conversation. So what does this tell us about God's willingness to reveal truth to us? Well, at the very least, it tells us that it is a great privilege to receive revelation from God. He reveals these things to His special people. This is consistent with the book of Revelation. He unfolds in the book of Revelation, Jesus does, unfolds in the book of Revelation through the Apostle John, all these great truths. And who is it written to? Do you remember? Chapters 2 and 3 is written to the seven churches in Asia Minor. Just local churches like, like ours. And it's also designed for all the churches of all ages because it says at the end of each one of those, let, um, let the Spirit... Uh, I'm going to draw a blank here. See, this is why memorization is important. Uh, uh, take heed what the Spirit says to the churches. Okay, something to that effect. Just got the basic idea. But, but the, 
But the point is that that's not just designed for those seven churches. It's designed for all churches. And so it's a great privilege that God unfolds these things to us. It's designed to give us hope and comfort and blessing. And I hope as we've studied through Revelation, you've seen that. That there is hope, there is comfort, there is blessing in knowing these things that you hadn't, saw, that you hadn't seen before. Listen to John Calvin on this issue. He says, God reveals some of His hidden purposes to believers through His Word, lest they become blind like the world, believing that His judgments simply happen by chance. God reveals His hidden purposes. Okay, let's not get too mystical here. This is God reveals His hidden purposes through His Word. Okay, so we're not looking for some still small voice out there. We're not looking for in the quiet of our own home something, some little bird comes and speaks something into our ear. That's not what we're talking about. Okay, we're talking about understanding God's special revelation. This is God's special revelation. And that is a great privilege. The second reason that they include Abraham in on this is found in verse 19. And that is to help Abraham instruct his children or his prodigy. Verse 19, For I have chosen him so that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him. So the second reason is to help Abraham to be able to teach his children and grandchildren and, and descendants following. And God's revelation for Abraham was not meant to die with him. It was meant to continue on because Abraham can't live forever on this earth at least. And the same thing is true about us. God's revelation was never designed as the, the ends of God's revelation was not designed to stop with you. He said, when you received God's revelation, boom, you're done. God's revelation was designed to be passed down to our children. It is the duty of parents to work hard at communicating what we learn from the Scriptures. We need to pass that down to our children. If we are not helping to influence our children from the Scriptures, then the world is automatically doing it. They are automatically being influenced by sinful society. There is a great amount of air that's floating around out there because of ignorance and unbelief. And we will only add to it if we do not pass these things down to our children. See, Abraham had a responsibility. He had a responsibility to not allow this revelation to stop with him. And so God here is using an opportunity. If I give this to Abraham, this will be a way for him to show others behind him, after him, my justice, my mercy. And that's what this story is about. This story of, of destruction of Sodom is about justice and mercy. That God is a just God. They deserved the judgment that they received. And it's also about God's mercy because He still protects some. He still delays in His judgment and He also protects some from it. The third reason that they included Abraham was to show him that God was just in destroying Sodom. Okay, so this kind of goes along with the last one that, that this was for Abraham to pass on to his children 
And he wanted to show clearly to Abraham that he was just. And I believe that's what verses 22 through 33 are talking about. This is the conversation that Abraham, Abraham has with the Lord there, where he says, What about if you, if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you spare it then? And he goes all the way down to 10. You're familiar with that story. You see, God could have carried out the judgment without Abraham, but He chose to include him so that, so that Abraham would not dismiss God's judgment as either chance. That would just happen to happen, uh, happen to come down. The fire from the sky, that, was, that wasn't supposed to be. That was kind of a coincidence. Or to say that God was unjust in doing that. You see, as Abraham starts to see, there's not 50 righteous people there. There's not 45, 40, 30, 20, not even 10. And so for God to destroy that city, He has every right to do that. He is completely just in doing that. So God filled him in on these things so that, so that Abraham couldn't dismiss it to luck or chance. Probably the same reason He filled Abraham in on having a child. What kind of things could Abraham and Sarah have thought if they had a child later on in life and yet they hadn't been told about it? Perhaps they could have thought, well, this isn't God. Now, you understand that God doesn't always reveal things to us. Sometimes we have to interpret what He's doing in light of our circumstances. But I think sometimes He mercifully reveals Himself to us, shows us what He's doing, so that we can praise Him. So that we can see His justice. Okay, So we see God's merciful revelation. The second thing we see in this passage is God's just retribution. God's just retribution. I said the main point of this is that God is just and He wants to be seen as just. And you see His just retribution here in verses 20 and 21. Verse 20 reads, And the Lord said, The outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is indeed great, and their sin is exceedingly grave. I will go down now and see if they have done entirely according to its outcry which has come to me. And if not, I will know. One of the reasons for including Abraham in the conversation, and I believe the main reason, was to show that Abraham that God was just. Verse 20 says, The outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah was indeed great. In other words, it was as if the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah were crying out to God and saying, we are opposed to you. It was similar to the blood of Abel that was crying out. Remember after Cain killed him. The sin of Sodom and Gomorrah is indeed great. Notice the extent of their wickedness. Verse 20. At the end it says, and their sin is exceedingly grave. So first it said it's indeed great, and then their sin is exceedingly grave. Now this phrase, exceedingly grave, in the Hebrew language is only used one other place in the entire Bible, and that is in 1 Samuel chapter 5. You remember the story where the Philistines had stolen the ark. They had a great defeat of Israel. They stole the ark of the covenant and kept it for themselves. They thought they would would kind of taunt the Israelites and perhaps even receive some blessing from their additional gods. So they put it in their god storeroom or whatever it was. And you remember Dagon fell down twice and uh, broke his arms and legs, I believe, on the second time that he fell down. Fell down face first in front of the ark. After that, tumors came throughout the land and killed several of the Philistines. 
here's what the Philistines say in chapter 5, verse 11. Get this thing out of here and send it back to Israel so that no more of our people will die. This is not a blessing. This is a curse. We don't want this Ark of the Covenant in our presence. So they, they, they seek to send it away. And here's the commentary that comes in 1 Samuel chapter 5. It says, The hand of God was exceedingly grave there. So there, the, the phrase that we're thinking about here, exceedingly grave, in 1 Samuel chapter 5 is talking about the great plague that came on the people of the Philistines. The great plague, and it was severe. That's the idea. So now look at verse twenty-one, or verse twenty, because this this is talking about their sin. Their sin is exceedingly grave. It couldn't be much worse. It's about as wicked as they could get. We'll see how wicked they indeed are next week. What a perverse city! In fact, the name of the city gives you an indication because that the name of the city Sodom is still used to refer to some pretty perverse acts even today. Notice verse 21 because it says, I will go down now and see if they have done entirely according to its outcry. There are two purposes for the angels to go down. I said in chapter 19, verse 1, that the angels do indeed go down. So there are two purposes for them to go down. One was to get an evaluation of the wickedness. They wanted to take stock of of what was going on. See if indeed they were wicked. And two was to spare Lot from destruction. That's what they do. They end up taking Lot and his family. They say to Lot first, Lot, come come with us. And uh, Lot hesitates. And so they grab his hand and the hand of his family and they take him, take they force, forcefully take them out. Now, why would the angels have to go down to the city in order to get this information? Okay, We could see... Okay, they need to go down to the city to get Lot out. But why go up, go down to take evaluation of the city and their sin? Doesn't God know everything? And in fact, He does. But this is similar to the Tower of Babel. When, you remember it said there, the Lord came down to the city that was built. You see, it speaks uh, less about God's knowledge and more about God's nearness, His concern for the people. God is not just an aloof God or or someone who's so far off that He doesn't care about people. He comes down even to the wicked. He's a just God. And because He is a just God, He wants to evaluate them on the basis of real facts. And here's a way to do it. Send the angels down there. Allow them to take an an evaluation of what, what is going on. And then they'll be judged on the basis of real facts of what has actually happened. See, God doesn't judge arbitrarily. He judges on the basis of real sin. And that's why I say these two verses are talking about God's just retribution. The outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is, is, is very great. It's exceedingly grave. Their sin is. And now it's time for me to go down and take an evaluation. It's interesting the way that this story plays out because in chapter 19, the very first thing that the angels do is not tell Lot, Lot, it's time to go. Come come away with us. That's not what they do. The very first thing that they do is they they intend to stay in the city square. In other words, in in the, 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 the hub of the city. They're planning to sleep out underneath the tree or perhaps in an inn that was there, who knows, but they were planning to sleep among the pagans. 
and uh, that would give them a good indication of how wicked these people were. So God mercifully reveals Himself, verses 16 through 19. God justly brings retribution, verses 20 and 21. And then verses 22 through 33, God has an ear for our prayers. God has an ear for our prayers. Abraham is concerned for Lot. And so in this passage, you see him pleading with God on behalf of Lot and this city. Now, this is not the first time that Abraham has had a concern for Sodom. Do you remember the first time that he did have a concern for Sodom? Remember what happened? Remember when Sodom and three other cities stopped paying taxes to Cheater Lamer and some other kings, four other kings? What happens when you stop paying taxes to a king? that's expecting taxes to come. Okay, there's going to be war, right? So the five kings come up against the four kings of these small cities, one of which was uh, one of which was Sodom. That was in chapter 14. And does it, what does Abraham do? Do you remember? Abraham comes and rescues Lot because Lot's a part of that that he, he's actually kidnapped or taken and captive by these people. Abraham comes in great power and and attacks them, goes to battle with them, him and his household, basically the servants that he has picked up over the years, and he chases them as far north as Dan, the northern part of Israel. And in doing so, he saves Sodom. He protects Sodom. Remember, the king of Sodom wants to give him all these gifts, and he says, no, I don't want you to think that my goods have come from you. I want you to understand that these come from God. Okay, so, so Abraham, we could say, is vested, right? He, he's got some blood, sweat, and tears in the city of Sodom. And so he's concerned for them and he prays for them. And we see this in his pleading. Okay, when I say pray, uh, he's having a conversation with the Lord here. Because the two angels have moved on to Sodom. Now it's just Abraham and the Lord standing here. Verse 22. Then the men turned away from there and went toward Sodom while Abraham was still standing before the Lord. And what is what is Abraham's plea? What what does he want? Well, he doesn't want the Lord to sweep away the righteous with the wicked. Look at verse 23. Abraham came near and said, "What will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? You can't do this. This is not who you are, God. You don't destroy the righteous with the wicked. You are a just God, and you wouldn't do that. And so, if there are 50 righteous people, verse 24, then then would you spare the city? And the Lord says, yes, I will. How about 45, verse 28? Yes, I'll do it for 45. How about 40, verse 29? How about 30, verse 30? How about 20, verse 31? And then finally he gets down to 10 in verse 32. Ten people. Abraham must have been thinking there has to be ten people in this city. I mean... He must have been thinking of Lot alone. Lot, Lot's family alone, right? You have Lot and his wife. You have the two daughters and the two spouses or the two fiancés of the daughters. Potentially some sons. And so there's got to be ten. Abraham must have been thinking. He starts out high because he's thinking they must have had some influence on this city. They must have brought more people to saving faith. So he starts high and he ends up at 10 and is surprised when there's not 10 people. And, and I would argue to, to you that Abraham is not negotiating here. Okay, He's not 
He's not negotiating with God. Okay, let's see how low you can go. That's not the idea. Rather, Abraham is surprised by the lack of righteous people in the city. He probably thought initially 50 was a conservative number. There's got to be 50 people there. See, he's not questioning God's justice, but just trying to see how it works in relationship to the people of Sodom. In his mind, there are several dozen righteous people, so it wouldn't make sense to destroy the city. So, so here is Abraham. He's, he's at a crossroads. He doesn't quite understand what's going on. God is just. He knows that. There are all these righteous people here in his mind, right? There's all these righteous people here. God, if you're just, you wouldn't destroy them. You wouldn't do that. So I'm not saying that you're not just. I'm not trying to cut that out and say, you are not just God by by destroying the city. What I'm saying is, how can this be? We have 50 righteous people here and you're just and you're still destroying the city. See, we know that God's not question, or Abraham's not questioning God's justice because of his reverence in his plea. Look at verse 23. Abraham came near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? And then verse 25. Far be it from you to do such a thing, to slay the righteous with the wicked so that the righteous and the wicked are treated alike. Far be it from you. You see, he's... he's upholding God's justice here. He's saying, I know you are just. Look at the last part of verse 25. Shall not the judge of all the earth deal justly? Or we could say it in the form of a statement. The judge of the earth will not deal unjustly. Or the the judge of the earth will deal, deal justly. So Abraham's not trying to undercut God's justice. He's saying, you are just. You are just, God. But... But I don't understand why 50 righteous people have to die. Notice his humility in verse 27. And Abraham replied, Now behold, I have ventured to speak to the Lord, although I am but dust and ashes. What is he saying there? Dust and ashes. Isn't that a a statement of humility? I I am nothing before you, God. I, 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 I am in sorrow and shame before you. Verse 31, he repeats the same idea. Now behold, I have ventured to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 are found there. That same, uh, that same intro he uses. Now behold, I venture to speak. He recognizes the coming, he's coming before the judge of all the earth. He's not coming before some small magistrate or the mayor of a small town or something. He's coming before the judge of all the earth. So I've ventured to speak to you, Lord. And not in an argumentative way. Notice verse 30. Oh, may the Lord not be angry and I shall speak. Verse 32. Oh, may the Lord not be angry and I shall speak only this once. Or we could say this one last time is what he says there in verse 32. So he, he's, he's humble before God. He recognizes God's justice. Notice, uh, notice Abraham's final submission. I know that he's not negotiating. He's not trying to get his way. He's just trying to understand things because of verse 33. As soon as he had finished speaking to Abraham, what does Abraham do? Does he fall on his knees and grovel and say, you can't do this, please! Grabs onto his leg. No. Abraham returned to his place. And I would say that this is submission. He heads back to his tent. It, was, it wasn't the mindset, I have to have it my way. That's not what Abraham was doing. Rather, it was, 
I want to please my I want to please my case with God. I want to understand these things. But when I don't understand them, like it is right now, God is just, and and He's still going to destroy the city despite the righteous people. Even though I don't understand them, He turns back towards His tent. I, I would say that He's doing this. I trust you, God. I don't understand what you're doing, but I trust you. Now, we could condemn Abraham for not trusting God when he first revealed it. We say, Abraham, come on. God said he was going to destroy the city because of the sin. What? Why are you complaining? Why are you arguing? Why can't you just trust him and believe him the first time you hear it? But I think we should actually commend, commend Abraham for his pleading with God. And there are two reasons. These are from John Calvin's commentary. First, he finally leaves it up to God. This is verse 33, which shows his submission to God. Okay, This is the idea of not my will, not my desire, but your will be done. And then secondly, he tries to get the people pardoned. We should com- commend Abraham because he's, he has concern for the people. He doesn't want them to see them die, to be destroyed. And this is amazing when you try to put yourself in Abraham's Sandals. Imagine that God had appeared to you and said, Ferndale is about to go up in flames. Its sin has reached a boiling point. Do you have any reason to pray for protection of that city? Do you have any concern for any people in the city of Ferndale? Hey, maybe we have, uh, I think Eric and Margaret Does anybody live there right now? Yeah. So we have one set of righteous people that live there that we know of. But other than that, do you have any reason to pray for the city of Ferndale, to to pray for their protection if you knew that they were going to be destroyed? Would you plead with God to spare those people? Or would you say, you know what? You're right. Their sin has reached a boiling point, and I'd be happy to see them destroyed. Spare the righteous, but destroy the city. That's not what Abraham was doing. Abraham was not pleading from the very beginning just for the righteous people. He was concerned for all of them. He didn't say, just bring out Lot, my family. Just bring out Lot and his family. That's all I care about. He was concerned for the whole city and he didn't want to see those people destroyed. He wanted to see them have more time. You see, Abraham can be commended because he was not concerned primarily with himself. He was not concerned. What would happen if God told Abraham to go and preach to that city? Do you think Abraham would flee immediately and get in the nearest boat and and try to get away because he didn't want to see those people repent? Would he say, I'm not preaching to those heathen because I know that you, God, have the power to save, that you are merciful and that you are slow to judgment and abounding in love. I'm not going to do that. That's what Jonah did. See, Abraham had a concern for the people. If Jonah were in Abraham's shoes, he would not have done what Abraham did. And so we can commend Abraham for for pleading with God about this city, about these people. Now look at verse 25 because we see the basis for Abraham's plea. The basis for his plea. 
Far be it from you to do such a thing, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous and the wicked are treated alike. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth deal justly? Abraham recognized God's justice. And the Scriptures are very clear about God's justice. He never does anything that's out of conformity with his own standard for himself. Psalm chapter 89, verse 14 says, Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Loving kindness and truth go before you. Romans 2, 6 says that God will render to each person according to his deeds. God is a just God. He, he, he judges people on the basis of their deeds. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 17, If you address as Father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, Conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth. Okay, God is the impartial judge. He's not looking for someone to, to slip them a few bucks here or there or some, some special favors and He'll give them a, a reprieve. No. God is an impartial judge and He judges people on the basis of their deeds. Abraham knows that. He understands that God is just. He's just simply trying to figure out what's going on. How this can, how this can be when there must be so many righteous people in the city. I think it's the same struggle that Job had going on in his mind when he was going through this trial. Remember? He's saying, God, how could You be the loving, sovereign God and still allow these things to be happening to me when all these wicked people are prospering? It wasn't that God was saying... or not that It wasn't that Job was saying, God, You're unjust. It was saying, God, You are just, but I just don't understand how it works with my current circumstances. And that's not a bad thing to, to, to have that wrestling in your mind. And when that struggle is in your mind, when there seems to be a point of contradiction, when it seems to be that, that maybe God is not being completely just, always err on the side of God. In other words, that God's justice can never be put into question. The Scriptures are clear about that. And if that's something that you are continually wrestling with, then I would encourage you to look up and find the several verses on God's justice in the Scripture. That God is a just God. That He is a holy judge. And memorize those. Those will be fuel for you when you have those thoughts, those temptations to turn from Him and to, to call Him unjust. You see, it has to be something else. If there's a conflict in your mind between God's justice and your circumstances or any circumstances going on in the world, it can't be that God is unjust. So just rule that out. It has to be something in your understanding about those things. And you can talk to God in this way. God, I know that You are just. I know that You are right in all of Your ways. I know that You are completely perfect and holy and You have our best interest in mind, but but I just simply don't understand my circumstances right now. Do that to God. That's a great way to plead. Look, at, look through the Psalms and watch how the psalmists do that over and over again. Verse 33, the Lord departs because there's nothing more to talk about. There were not ten righteous people in the city of Sodom. Judgment was looming. It was about to come. So God here includes Abraham in the, on the conversation about his plan in order to show his justice to him. God is just and occasionally He shows His people that He is just. He wants them to see that. 
And what we should understand from this passage is that God is not impatient. Or, excuse me, God is, uh, God is very patient. God is not impatient, yes. He's not a God who is bloodthirsty. Okay? Who can I get next? He's not ready to zap you when you do something wrong. He's not ready to zap unbelievers when you do something wrong, when they do something wrong. Hey, that's not our God. He is, in fact, very patient in, inju- in His justice and His judgment. And we see this here in this passage. He could have easily just wiped them out when their sin had reached the boiling point. But instead, He gives them more time, doesn't He? In fact, He gave them lots of time. He could have destroyed them a long time ago. We see God's justice. We also see His patience in this passage. He doesn't immediately explode in wrath. And the Scriptures are very clear about this. God is slow to become angry and abounding in love. And this truth is helpful for us as believers too. That when we are disciplined, when trial comes into our lives, we often think that God is up there, just He's been waiting to zap us. And once we did something wrong, He was ready to strike. But when, when in reality, He has been so patient with us, He has allowed us to continue on in our sins in some cases, recognizing that that He he, He wants to show His love to us. And so when He does discipline us, it's actually a good thing. And when He delays in His judgment of you, or we could say in His discipline of you, when He does that, then that's your opportunity to repent of your sin. And we ought to use that opportunity. And because God is just, we should plead with God on the basis of His own character. We should plead with God on the basis of His own character. Speak the truth about God back to Him. God, You are the judge of all the earth. That's what Abraham is doing here. You are the judge of all the earth. So, because of that, You would never destroy these wicked people or these righteous people with the wicked. When you're pleading with God, do the same thing. Speak truth back to God. He already knows these things that you're saying, but but speak it back to Him and plead with Him on the basis of His own character. It's not that you're backing Him in a corner. okay? Give it to me or else type idea. But, But we should understand that God uses our prayers as a means to glorify Himself by answering us. He wants us to pray to Him. He wants us to... To see Him in a different light, He wants us to see Him as a loving God, and we can't often see Him in that way if we don't even pray. We don't ask for anything. We don't plead with Him. What an amazing privilege that, like Abraham, we are allowed to be involved in conversations that are, that are of weighty matters. We are allowed to be heard within the courts of heaven. It's as if God and His angels are all standing around Say, wait, let's hear what this believer has to say. Not that they need that in order to go over the tipping point, but the fact that that God is listening is something, isn't it? Isn't that a great privilege that He allows for us? When was the last time He used that privilege to plead with God for someone or some group of people who are headed for judgment? Do you even care? Do you even care about people who are lost? Perhaps it's someone in your family. Perhaps it's 
people you work with, sometimes our mindset is we'd rather see them destroyed. We'd rather see them stop persecuting us, so please, God, bring down the wrath upon them. But we should be like Abraham in the sense that we plead with God on the basis of His own character, asking for God's protection even for the wicked so that God would give them another opportunity to repent. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful that You are merciful, just, holy, patient, slow to anger God, that You care about us, that You are God who hears. We are amazed that You mercifully reveal Yourself to us. You, you could have gone throughout all of creation and, and not revealed Yourself to us. But for some reason You chose to. You want to include us in the greatest thing in this entire universe, and that is You. We pray that You'd help us not to take this privilege lightly. We pray that You'd help us to recognize the weight of what we are a part of and that we would regularly regularly come before You and plead with You on the basis of Your character and for people who are lost and dying. And we also want to plead with You on the basis of Your character for other things as well, like the people in this church, like the struggles that are going on even now. We pray that You'd help us to be people who are praying people people who show our dependence upon You by praying. Not just in public when we come together for services, although that is good, but also in private. Help us, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen.